1: at yet another show, and to be talking today uh, with Stephen Gaffney about being a change champion. And before we start talk to Stephen, um, I'd like to say a big thank you to my guest last week, Suzanne Doyle Morris. It was great discussing diversity with her, and I loved the, the suggestion that she made that we should all. Um, Go and put ourselves in situations that we feel a bit uncomfortable, uh, meeting uh, groups and uh, joining groups of people that are not like ourselves so we can really start to appreciate diversity and not just uh, see um, the world um, through our similar sort of habitual patterns of thinking. Now, everything is really busy over here at the moment. We're getting very excited at the moment. We're launching my new book with Dr. Stephen Levinson on the power to get things done, whether you feel like it or not. It's published by Penguin Random House USA. It's available uh, now for order from sellers such as Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Penguin. And in the words of Jack Canfield, uh, the author, co-author of The Success Principles and Best-selling Chicken Soup for the Soul, uh, this book contains a ton of practical and easy-to-implement techniques and strategies for getting yourself to do whatever needs to be done. I'm also delighted to have the support of best-selling author and founder of BI, Dr. Ivan Meisner, uh, who's written the foreword. and He has, um, to me, had some wonderfully compelling views on this. I mean, he said that very uh, successful people, the difference between them and less successful people is that successful people know how to get the things done that less successful people don't. And uh, therefore, this book really uh, will address that. So today, um, we're going to talk about uh, Change Champion, um, being one with, with Stephen Gaffney. Now, the best organizations, they make decisions and they move forward. They're not constrained by negativity, naysayers, change blockers or perfectionitis. According to Stephen, they move through their change plans with velocity, achieve goals and reap the benefits. In doing so, they generate a positive news cycle that helps to to power their change implementation. Such an important subject today. The world seems to be constantly in change to be talking today about how to do this and how to do it well. Let me tell you a bit about Stephen. He's... um, he says the number one problem at work home and around the world is not what people say, it's what they don't say to each other. And no one knows this better than Stephen Gaffney, who for 2 decades has been, leading, um, has been the leading expert on the subjects of honesty and communication, helping people understand the costs of withholding information, both at work, at home and of course during change projects. Stephen's inability to speak due to hearing impediments, um, impairments as a child, forced him to learn the importance of effective communication at a very early age and that drove the foundation of the Stephen Gaffney Company. He's a respected author of five books including Be a Change Champion Uh, and he's worked with many amazing companies, military officers, multinational organizations uh, US Navy, you name it. He's a certified speaking professional which I know takes a lot of work. He's a highly respected member of the Million Dollar Speaking group of the National Speaking Association as well. So, a huge welcome today to Stephen Gaffney. Thanks for having me on the show Chris. Absolute pleasure. Uh, wonderful. Uh, St- uh, Stephen, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your childhood? I mentioned there that you um, struggled to be able to speak at a young age. I was really interested to know a little bit about that and maybe how that sort of shaped things for you.
2: Yeah, uh, no problem. So when I was three and a half or up until three and a half, I really couldn't speak. And what that really meant was if, for example, my parents said milk, I would respond with muck. So, something <laughs> seemed to be off. And they realized, that, you know, this wasn't going to get better necessarily. So, they took me to a doctor, and the very first doctor looked at me, did a couple tests, and said, He's mentally retarded. Now, I know that's not politically correct to say today, but that's the reality back then and the way the doctor talked to my mom. So, she tells the story that she was driving home and she was just crying, you know, realizing the impact of what that meant. And then she talked to my grandmother, her mother, and my grandmother said, you know, get a second opinion, and she got a second opinion and found out that my ears were just blocked, and so I got that corrected, got them unblocked, and suddenly I could hear, and then I had to learn how to talk because I was behind, obviously, from where I should be, and then I went to Easter Seals, and so I I was always playing catch-up going through school, and that impacted me in a lot of ways, but the bottom line is it's kind of ironic that I began this world basically not being able to communicate. And um, and now I make a living in helping others to communicate. And what that really taught me is people get challenged with communication, and we all get challenged with this. And the key is, what are we going to do about that?
1: Yeah, I can I can kind of somewhat really resonate what you've said there. I, I had a my parents found I couldn't hear out of one of my ears when I was uh, very young as well. Um, so uh, that uh, you no, know, I think uh, it's interesting that I've also ended up in uh, communication as well. Um, but very yeah. inspiring What's to
2: the, hear that yeah. and, uh, so if, like go on, I was just going to say one of the things that to just draw from this is the value of actually getting different opinions, and you know I make a living by hearing open, honest communication that 's how I help companies and organizations really thrive. And, you know, if you think about this, my mom really needed a second opinion, and thankfully she did. Because the first doctor, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, no matter whether this is politically correct to say or not, just doing a couple of tests and saying a kid is mentally retarded. I mean, what kind of nonsense is that? But yet there are doctors there are people out there that don't always give the best advice, and sometimes we listen to that advice instead of saying, wait a minute, does that really make sense to us inside? And if it doesn't, and even if it does, it's usually good to double-check and ask people's opinion. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's a it's amazing what some people believe. Uh, my 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 wife's parents, uh, they're uh, they're sort of a little older in uh, in in age uh, today. Um, but they went to, when they when they were in the forties, they decided they wanted to take up skiing for the first time. So they took a little bit of advice from a doctor who said they were far too old and it would damage their bones. Can you believe that they were forty three at the time? Wow! <laughs> wow! So they never went.
2: <laughs> it is isn't interesting how, how the reality is, I, I found, that people sometimes give it bad advice because they're really thinking about themselves and, and they're run by their fears and limitations and they project it on us. And then if we get bought into those fears and limitations, we can't nearly achieve what we have the potential to achieve. So a lot of it is looking at fears and realizing that we need to seek out good counsel and really challenge ourselves that so much is possible, even sometimes the seemingly impossible things. Because, you know, with that acronym, which I think is utter nonsense, you know, um, uh, I forget what it stands for, but one of, one of the things is having realistic goals. How do you know what's realistic? And so many things have been accomplished in life by what seemed to be unrealistic, um, but yet it became realistic. So we can achieve so much, but part of that is really understanding and communicating with others and learning from others.
1: Mm -hmm. I guess from what you said there as well, being prepared to challenge some of our own beliefs, which might be related to something that somebody said to us many years ago, which sort of sits in our subconscious now.
2: In fact, I have found that one of the biggest blockers to organizational growth is what I call organizational folklore. In other words, it's what people say has been historically so with a company that just isn't so. For example, we've tried that before. Well, maybe it was tried, but probably not in the way we're trying it now. And even if it is the exact same, times have changed. And sometimes people say, well, that will never work because it's against policy. And, we, and instead of challenging the policy, I remember I had a client of mine who was responsible for about 9,000 people. And when he took over the organization, it wasn't doing well. So he we had a whole bunch of ideas, and people came to him and said, you, you can't do this. And he said, well, I appreciate that. Um, can you tell me where it says I can't achieve that, we can't do that? And people said, oh, I'll, I'll show you. And most of them never even came back. And Chris, the ones that did come back and showed him the policy that said it can't be done, we can't do it, when they looked at the policy, it didn't say that. In fact, they hadn't even checked the policy. They just were told that that's where the policy was. People look sometimes at why we can't do something instead of looking at why we can. And one of the signs of a great leader is somebody who's willing to challenge organizational folklore.
1: Yeah. And, and I guess check, as you, you're interested in honest communication, actually check. Is that, is that right? Does it make sense? Does it stack up in today's world? Um, Absolutely. So, what got got you interested in that? In in honest communication, and and I've not heard of anybody. I think, I think you know, trust and and things are so important. But I've not heard of anybody who, before you actually, who really stands up for honest communication. It was actually by accident. So, I've always been an honest
2: person, and people say, um, "Oh, I'm an honest person." No, I was really kind of, in a weird way, honest. So, for example, when I was growing up and I would do something bad, I'd actually tell on myself, which is a little bit different than most kids. (laughs) (laughs) So I was a little bit extreme there. Never did I know that uh, or think I was going to make a living doing it. But basically what happened is, you know, I moved through life and I was an agent for film and radio, commercial directors, photographers mainly. And a photographer convention came into town and I thought, you know, it'd be neat to do um, uh, you know, communication seminar for photographers. So I did that at the the convention center in Washington D.C. and I loved it. Now I didn't know you could make a living doing it, so I started to do these sessions on the side for photographers, creative people, and it went really well. But I still, you know, dabbled with it, so to speak. And then my business partner basically informed me that she wanted the agency, the photographer, you know, creative agency that we were uh, that we were representing these folks. She wanted it for herself, and so. I basically hung my shingle out, and I started to go after this um, full-time. Now, what was interesting about that is I still didn't connect exactly about the honesty piece. I was just doing overall communication and motivation. But what happened is, because I'm naturally honest and just that almost well, overtly so, um, <laughs> friends of mine started asking me for advice in this category. And I remember, never forget, Chris, one friend of mine, a very, very good friend of mine, said, why aren't you teaching this? as part of the curriculum, as part of what you're doing for these corporations. And I said, hey, everybody knows it. He said, no, people don't know it. And so I started to really pursue that and just teaching them what came naturally to me and just the business went off the charts. It was a huge turning point. Of course, the value is if I look back, if I thought about what I love to do and what it's natural for me to do, I would have actually moved on it sooner, but the point is, what I realized is the biggest problem is not what people say; it's actually what they don't say. So, if you get that unsaid said, things can move. I mean, think about this way, Chris. I mean, how often have you said, "If they had just told me, I could have done a better job"? If that person had just told me they were upset with me, rather than bad mouthing me to other people, I would have talked to them. I would have corrected it. So much of life. And even these big corporations suffer from not what is said. It's what's not getting said to the executives and the leaders. And you can't fix the problem if nobody says what the problem is. And you can't move on an idea that nobody tells you about. So it's the key is to get that unsaid said. And all of this kind of moved forward. But when I look back, it all started from this open, honest communication, which came naturally to me.
1: And that's quite a, you know, being an honest individual um, is great. And I could imagine a lot of people would really feel, comfortable doing business with an honest company. However, you know, what you're doing there by getting the unsaid said is, is actually sometimes quite tough, I would imagine. Um, you must have some quite you know, difficult conversations sometimes when you really sort of focus in on that elephant in the room that no one's wanted to uh, discuss for quite a long time. Yeah, and the
2: biggest problem, Chris, is it's a cultural problem within these organizations because what happens is even the best organizations, in fact, some of the best companies in the world, they come to me because they want to get even better, and they know this is a natural problem, right? We all withhold in life. Uh, in fact, it reminds me, there was a study done years ago that said 91% of people lie regularly. I think the other 9% of the study lied because everybody lies. You know, lies of withholding. You know, we hold back. And so what the best companies realize is that this is an issue, and it's a cultural issue, meaning it's cultural within the organization that often people get afraid. And so what we need to do is make people feel safe. And, you know, somebody might be listening to us and say, well, how, did, how does people feel unsafe? It's easy. Chris, have you ever had somebody say, listen, I really appreciate feedback, and you can give me any feedback. And then you give them some critical feedback, and they flip out, they get upset. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Next time they ask you for feedback, you're like, "I'm not going there." So, so many executives I've had to coach that they didn't mean to do this, but the organization they and actually sometimes the behaviors of leaders have actually really sent an unintended message of punishing the other person for speaking up. They say they want honest communication, they say they want honesty, but really the real
1: message is, "Don't go there." Yeah. So we've got about four minutes to break now, uh, Stephen. But I want to. Move. I can really see there's a parallel here between um, honest communication and being a change champion. Um, but let's let's move on to being a change champion. How do you define it, and why do we need them?
2: Well, first of all, change champion is key because the way we're going to get anything accomplished is to be a champion of change. And so, what does that mean? It has two tenets. First of all, that a, a change champion believes that change is the key to surviving and thriving. And what I mean by that is they don't look at change as, oh, we just have to do it occasionally. They realize that that is the key to success because think about it this way. Even if you're the best at something right now, it's only a matter of time before the competition tries to outsmart you and move ahead. And a lot of companies, they stopped being a champion of change and they thought they had the answer only to find out later they didn't have the answer or if they had the answer it was only temporarily and another company passed them by so one of it is a tenant is to be you know is that that you're thinking that and the way of the mindset is that it changes the key to surviving and thriving the second which is very important as well is that to have a change flexibility mindset a change flexibility mindset in other words that's that we create an environment in which people do not get rattled by change and they get make they know that they're going to be changes to the changes so i work with the u.s military and one of my favorite quotes that i've learned from them is that no plan survives first contact with the enemy no plan survives first contact with the enemy in other words they know that as soon as we hit the ground there are going to be changes Well, in companies People forget that, and so they launch a change, and then somebody else is thinking, or you know, they, they, they launch a change, and then there's obviously changes to the changes, and employees go, "See, I knew it. It was only a matter of time before something else is happening." They don't have this figured out. Instead, I work with executives and have that change champion mindset, and in particular, the change flexibility, and communicate that you know what, we're going to launch this change. It isn't perfect, but we will be successful expect problems and challenges but in the end we will make this extremely successful and we need your help and so what they're redoing is setting the expectations to expect changes to the
1: changes and having that change flexibility mindset. It makes a, a huge sense. Do you think I've just got a couple of minutes left now so I'll be quick with this one but do you think that uh, it is possible to train this and, uh, and everybody to adapt to have this flexibility because there was some you know, profiles of people, personality type of profiles that don't necessarily like change, they need structure, they need some sameness rather than, than variation. Is it possible to, to help those people to become much more flexible as well?
2: Absolutely. In fact, one of the biggest myths is that people don't like change. It's just mm-hmm. not true. Uh, here's how I prove it to my audiences and also when I'm coaching somebody. But especially when I'm teaching this overall to big organizations, you know, big audiences, say, ask them how many of you are married or ever been married, how many of you have a child, Um, how many of you have sought out a new job, how many of you have been promoted, and how many of you have moved? And of course, people raise their hand to one or many of these. And I said most of those changes, not all, but most of those changes are sought-out changes, and they're major changes. Here's the truth. The truth is people do like change as long as it's beneficial change. The reason why people resist change... It's because they don't see the benefit. And a lot of times it's because those executives, when they're launching that change, has forgotten to explain to people the value to them, the employees, of why that change is so beneficial. So my experience is actually the opposite. People will embrace change as long as they see it's beneficial and it will succeed. So the good news is right now in any organization, they can change that mindset by communicating in the right way and understanding that people will like change as long
1: as we show them the benefit. Excellent. Well, it's a great way to uh, finish this segment. Uh, We'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes. Then what we're going to start to do is to move into uh, some of the the kind of key uh, principles of uh, becoming a, a change champion. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes.
0: You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper.
1: Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Stephen Gaffney. Uh, we were talking between before the break about uh, Stephen was sharing, actually, that people do... Um, will embrace change and uh, providing they really understand the benefits. However, we do meet people in organizations that are actually really sick of it and, uh, you know, they've kind of seen it before and, and that sort of thing. I mean, why is it that many people do seem to get fed up with change, Stephen? And the reason
2: is, because is great question, Chris, because the reason is 70% of organizational changes fail to achieve their original objective. 70%. So most people have had a really bad experience of change because it's been lousy how, they've, how it's been executed. So if you've had a bad experience, just think about it. Seven out of ten organizational changes you participated in haven't worked, and they launch a new change. We're not likely to embrace it because we're thinking it's not going to be beneficial and it's not going to work out. But here's the good news. The good news is there's so many things to fix this, and it's really easy. That's why I get brought into these organizations, because change is a reality. We need to change, and we've got to become really experts at that, and we need to be that champion of change.
1: Mm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, so you've written, this, you've written this book about being a change champion, and uh, within it there's uh, those kind of 10 um, elements. We're not going to be able to talk about all of them today. Um, But let's just have a little chat about some of them. And, um, you know, people have to buy the book to really get the full perspective on it. Um, One of the um, points I read, you know, about a change sort of program is that people need to be aware of the exit ramps. And, you know, do you want to just talk about why they need to be aware of them and what they are?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, as we get into the the subject of the book, it turned out it was the only book, it's the only book out there that's dedicated to keeping up the momentum of a change. And what I have found out, back to the reason why people, changes are unsuccessful, is they don't keep up the momentum. It's It's well launched in the beginning, but then it lacks the tenacity, the momentum, and the flexibility to be really successful. So that's why I wrote the book, because I realized that there are 10 key ways to keeping up the momentum of any change. And if you implement those 10, then you're good to go. So one of the first ones, to to your point, is about watching out for exit ramps. Exit ramps are basically detours, distractions, offshoots of the change. So in other words, it gets launched, but because there's a lot of variations, sometimes there's people objecting to the change, it, 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 it gets off course. It's like driving down a road and, you're, you know, and you say, well, you know what, I'm going to just take this ramp and just see the scenery over here. And suddenly, you know, you're way off course. And here's what I found out by working with so many companies, that they're often off course from the original objective of the change. And what's how I found this out, and this is an easy test for everybody to do, ask people the change that you're currently launching. Ask people around you, what is the objective, the outcome of the change? And what I found out when I ask people that question, and when I ask leaders that question, who are, are supposed to implement a change, if I ask 10 people, I usually get 10 different variations of an answer. And you might say, well, a variation, is that important? It's critical because it only takes a slight variation and suddenly we're way off course. So these detours, distractions, and offshoots really cause problems. But here's the answer. It's an easy fix. First, you have to have a clear vision of success, a painted picture So actually, how does it really look? Ask those tough questions and and make that very clear to people and then repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. I think I said repeat it. (laughs) In other words, it has to be something that doesn't live on a shelf or doesn't live on a plaque somewhere or or just shown on a wall. It has to be said over and over again so we keep on course and get to where we need to go.
1: Yeah, I remember recently I had a... a vice president of Ritz Carlton on the show and, and one of the things i've always you know found fascinating about that organization is the way that they repeat every morning to themselves in their huddles the kind of prime objective of the business and they say that people don't need uh, to be told they just we just all need to be reminded so i imagine you know with a project like that and i've been involved with uh, a, a massive development project um over the last couple of years with a, a client uh, involving uh, new breweries and restaurants and visitor centres and uh, nature reserves and all sorts of things and uh, it, it has been really important with that just to sometimes just get back to the purpose of why we're doing it. Um, so do, do, is that what you recommend people do is just get, keep getting get very, very clear together and then just make sure they keep reminding themselves of, of, of the why? Yes, well, what I, I, I like to
2: call it a vision
1: of success, you know, a painted
2: picture of the desired goal. People yes. think in pictures, they don't think in words. So, for example, if I said cup of coffee, you're unlikely to think of, you know, just some uh, just the words. You're more likely to think of a picture of a cup of coffee. And even if you did think of the words, it's probably in your mind a picture of actually those words. So here's the key. The way is to create that painted picture. What does it actually look like? And it has four key ingredients, a vision of success. And I can go through those four ingredients if you want. Yeah, sure. Well, the first one is it's got to be easy to understand. That sounds, well, should be pretty simple. No, I see these grandiose vision statements and mission statements by companies that nobody understands because it's filled with corporate jargon. And you know what? It all sounds the same anyway. But it doesn't really say where we're trying to go. So it has to be easy to understand because if I don't understand it, I can't achieve it. Second, it has to be results-oriented. It can't be never-ending. For example, being the best we can be, we're going to make an organizational change that will really make us more efficient. How are we going to know that we achieved that vision of success? Third ingredient, it's got to be positive. For example, if I said, don't think of the color green. No, Chris, please, don't, don't think of it.
1: <laughs> it's just
2: hard. We all think about it. I think about it. Um, so a lot of vision statements that seemed good, but the problem is it doesn't it misses this key and it's actually said in the negative. So for example, it might be to actually limit mistakes by ten percent. You know, people are focused on mistakes, they're gonna make more mistakes. So we wanna be positive, in other words, where we're trying to go, not say what we're trying to not where we're trying to not go. And the fourth ingredient is gotta be inspiring. It has to be where employees sit there and other people that are have to implement this stuff, see how they get value too. So it, it, the best vision statements are easy to understand, results-oriented, positive, and, and when they're said, you say, you know what, I can see myself in there. Wow, if we achieved it, that would be so great. It would really help out myself, the company, the whole organization, and they get so excited about it, and that's what I mean by inspiring.
1: Excellent. Now, one of the things you, you mentioned a little bit earlier, which I think is worth just exploring uh, for a moment, was you know that there will always be you know, problems and issues um, on the journey of any change project. And what I've certainly seen from many projects I've been involved in, in the past is that there's a, quite a lot of fear sometimes goes with within those projects. You know, people, people fear things going wrong and they feel uncomfortable when things deviate and they are scared the finger's going to be pointed. But actually what you were suggesting is that it's actually a natural part of any change program. Is that correct? Absolutely. In
2: fact... I, I was working with the CEO, and, and, and you know, initially came to me because he didn't understand. And we're being upfront with people, we're telling things, we're trying to make the, the or, you know, we're changing the company. I said, Well, he, here's the problem. You keep making changes to the changes. And he said, Well, but we need to. We're learning as we go. And I said, Absolutely. There's not a problem with that. But you're not messaging it that way. What you're doing is basically doing what I think is so troublesome, is we saying to people, well, once we get over X, we'll be good to go. Once we get over this, we'll be good to go. And so what people are thinking is that we're set, and the reality is we're always going to make adjustments. And so when I work with executives is to basically hammer the following message. We ex- are, is to say this, I expect there to be problems. You should expect there are going to be problems. But in the end, we will be successful. And that goes back to what I learned from the U.S. military, that no plan survives first contact with the enemy. In other words, it's not that we don't plan. It's not that we sit there and say, I hope there are going to be problems. We just know that there are going to be adjustments, and that's part of life. But here's the neat thing. When I worked with executives and that CEO, and they they started to communicate these types of messages, employees said, you know what, when there were changes and there were problems, they said, oh, yeah, well, you know, they told us. But if they're telling us afterwards, we're gonna wonder what else aren't they saying. So the key is to drive home, which I know sounds weird, but just saying to people, expect problems, but in the end, we will be successful and
1: drive that success. Yeah, yeah. And that's really, really important. And that gives people I think that gives people some comfort, doesn't it? If something does get in the way, a block gets in the way, or there's uh there's a derailment in some ways, something that you couldn't necessarily control. It gives you some comfort to know, actually, it's okay. It's, it's okay. Um, we're going to deal with that, but we will get around it. And together.
2: Yes. Because in the end, it's, we're, we're in this together. In fact, it reminds me of another concept I love teaching, Chris, and that is the concept that teams win championships. You know, if you think about it, Chris, never, ever, 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 has anybody been a champion? Now, I know probably those might be saying, but there's a tennis champion, there's a golf champion. Think of all the individual sports and they're champions. No, no, no. It took a team for them to win. It took a great coach. It took a great support system to do all the behind the scenes that needed to get done. So even when somebody wins the Olympic gold, it was a team that helped them win. Teams win championships. Individuals don't. And so we need that team atmosphere. And part of this is, to, you know, we're in this together. And how I can always define a team is a team win- feels like they win or lose together. That's what the greatest teams do. But the bottom line is teams win championships, so we need each other because we can accomplish so much more by working together than by being antagonistic with each other and trying to do it and go it alone.
1: And I, and I suppose that points to one of the you know fundamentally important things with leadership on these change projects is that we've got to make sure that that's Teamwork does happen and, and every, everything is flowing rather than you know, antagonism between departments and functions and different project managers and the like on the projects.
2: Absolutely, but I want to see something because
1: I, I, it, people might say, well, what if there
2: is antagonism? Well, antagonism for antagonism's sake is not good. But actually, there are three signs of a healthy organization, and one of them is that there is positive debate. First of yeah. all, that there actually is debate. So I've sat in team meetings where it's like watching paint dry. It's a whole bunch of debriefs, and it's like, if we're just debriefing each other, why do we need to have a meeting? We can send each other a report. The bottom line is, meetings are designed to have arguments, discussions, you know, heated debates, because that's how we make a better solution. So one of the signs that we are in an unhealthy relationship or an unhealthy team or an unhealthy organization is when there's no debate. Debate is good. Not resolving debate is bad. Positive debate and the difference between positive versus negative debate. Positive debate is about when you have a debate with somebody, you're offering ideas. Negative debate, which is not good. Is when somebody just is criticizing an idea but never offers any solution. It's the type of person who says, well, Chris, I'm just telling you it doesn't work. Hey, you want want me to tell you the truth? I'm telling you the truth. It doesn't. It's not going to work. But I never offer you a solution. That's not helping. Positive debate is what we're after. So there's a debate. And we're offering and con- contributing to ideas. And I work with a lot of organizations to develop that and have people have that permission and desire that we want the debate and we want the real meeting going on inside the meeting, not outside the meeting.
1: Yeah. 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 So it's a conflict. When we get conflicts in those kind of situations, actually, it's sometimes a good thing, providing it's not undermining each other, it's, it's focused on the issue. So.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because think about it this way. Have you ever heard of a couple that says, oh, yeah, we don't have any issues, we never argue, and then they get divorced? I mean, it, you know, president yeah. Johnson, the U.S. president yeah. in the 60s, he said, you know, if nobody's arguing, only one person is thinking. But I would add, is only one person is telling the truth. Because the reality is, we all have different points of view, but this is great stuff. You know, I've learned so much in life by people who said, yeah, I disagree with you, Stephen. Now, In a moment, I'm like, what do you mean you disagree? But I've learned so much by hearing different points of opinion. And, you know, we think this should be pretty common, but how often are we really open-minded? And I have the ultimate test for people to show whether they're open-minded or not. And here's the easy one. When they stop listening to the show, find a TV station or radio station that has somebody you politically disagree with and see how long you can listen to them. Listen to them. I'm not saying agree with them or see their point of view. I'm just saying even listen. People can't in this day and age, they can't even hear an opposing point of view because they just get stuck in this same old thing. And we all tend to do it in a lot of ways that we don't even realize. For example, you ever been in an argument? So you call a friend for help and advice. And if the friend sides with the other friend, we tend to hang up and search for another friend. We actively seek agreement, and we rarely have the permission and the, the, the fortitude to realize that debate is really, really a good thing. And we want to be in an environment where we're open
1: to that. Yes, so you're, you're, bring, you're bringing back um, one or two memories of, uh, of uh, <laughs> people who have said to me, yeah, I've just gone and spoken to five of my friends, and they think I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I
2: love to tease people as I say you know you know I'll, I'll talk about being open minded I'll say you know um, uh, you know I know what some of you are thinking they will go what I say but but Stephen I I check into the facts I ask a lot of people and here's my comeback who do we hang out with who do we tend to hire who do we tend to surround ourselves it's by people who actually are like us it's a natural inkling to like people who are similar to us but that's very very dangerous because we don't hear a opposing point of view. And just look at what's happening in the news and how positional people are about their religion, about their, about their philosophy, and we are just unforgiving about others and realize everybody can teach us something. It doesn't mean we have to agree with everybody, but it's about what do they have that we can learn from each other, not why I can't learn from that person.
1: Uh, there's a, some great, great wisdom in that. I think you, it is very important to to uh, look at people that way. And I think sometimes if you, you find somebody kind of upsets you or or say something you don't like, actually try and look into yourself, I think, and just investigate a little bit why that is, and whether that's actually healthy or not. I find that quite helpful sometimes.
2: Yeah. In fact, I got a, a test for people. Actually, you know, I said the political test, so that's kind of overall. But here's a true test to see if we are actually a self-righteous person, in other words, who believes we're always right, or are we really open to other people? And here's, there's two questions to ask. How often, or when was the last time we were in an argument with somebody and we walked away and thought the other person was right? When was the last time we lost an argument? And if if somebody's listening and saying, I I can't really think of the last time, that's Mm. a danger. Because... We all should be losing arguments sometimes, and we may not like it in the moment, but we learn from each other. So when people say, I'm always right, that's a big problem. Because what really has started to happen is people have start- stopped contributing their ideas to each other, or, you know, their, um, you know, different points of view, and debate is then stopped. The other question to ask ourselves is, what ideas are we currently using that didn't come from us? In other words, what ideas are we currently um, using that didn't come from us? In other words, we learn from somebody else. And people are self-righteous, can't think of it, because all they can think about is the ideas that they came up with. And sometimes they they are using other people's ideas, but they've taken it as if it's their own, and that's how they remember it. So Mm -hmm. when was the last time we lost an argument? And when was the last time we, and what ideas are we using that aren't ours that we learn from somebody else? That's a true test to see if we're self-righteous
1: or not. Yeah, great. Well, good point to go into the next commercial break. Um, After the break, we're going to continue to look at uh, a few more of the the fundamentals, um, principles to help maintain momentum with change projects. We'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes.
0: Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you.
2: What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need, exactly when you need it, so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy.
1: Hi, this is Chris Cooper. If you'd like any more information about the the shows that are coming up and, and my take on some of the shows, do go to the chriscooper.co.uk and do subscribe to the uh, communication there. Just send out occasional emails uh, updating you on um, on some of the amazing guests like Stephen that we have on the show and, and incredible subjects. So uh, we're talking uh, obviously about change, and I wonder, Stephen, and one of the things that in the, in a project that should be absolutely non-negotiable because sometimes on these big projects, it feels like everything's fluid, but there must be certain things that are at the heart of a project and certain behaviors and things that we must adhere to.
2: Absolutely. And I, I, I've found and worked with executives that they want to instill three key non-negotiables and they're in the book, be a change champion, but I'll outline it right now. The first one is that we have the, it's a non-negotiable that we make and keep commitments without having to follow up. In other words, that we keep our word and the key is that we don't need to follow up with each other. It doesn't mean that we never follow up, but there's not a need to babysit because that's a huge time waster and actually one of the ways that we're able to help organizations be so much more profitable because what they're doing is they're having so many checks and balances. It's the reality is because people don't trust each other that the job is going to get done. So the first non-negotiable is make and keep commitments. Second is what I call proactive honesty. Proactive honesty is that we are proactive with the, what we see, and, and in other words, if we see something or hear something, that we say something. It's our duty to be proactive. Now, people might say, okay, well, that's, that's obviously important. Now, most organizations and most people in a relationship I have found are at most reactive honesty. Reactive honesty is, if you ask me, I'll tell you the truth. But if you don't ask me, hey, I'm not being dishonest. You never asked. But, of course, the problem is we don't always know what to ask, and that creates a a major distrust. So the key is to create that non-negotiable of being proactive, and there's a lot of things to discuss about that. We can discuss it more if you'd like. The third element, the third non-negotiable, is straight-line communication. Way, way, way too much talking behind people's back um, with hidden agendas and all that. And, And if we've got a problem with somebody, we need to talk directly to that person. And what I have found by there's so much stuff about back-channeling in organizations, and that's hurt organizations. And the worst part about all these three things, making keep commitments when it's not done and proactive honesty when it's not done and lack of straight-line communication, the worst part about it is it slows organizations down. And in this, and in today's environment, we live in what I call the speed of now. We have to move fast. And the best companies realize they need to move fast. And one of the ways to do that one of the only ways to do that without capital investment is through open, honest communication with these non-negotiables.
1: Yeah, I think those are so powerful. And I think what you're you're highlighting here is these these kind of principles are, are really at the start of a big change initiative. It's worthwhile having a meeting just to look at how the change might occur, or several, and, and, and putting in place some of these principles and making sure they're very clear to everybody. Um, because it's, it's very unusual actually that uh, a, a project happens and you're really talking about how you're going to behave with each other. It's kind of what do we need to do, where are we heading, and let's get on with it.
2: Yes, and the, as a trusted advisor to the CEOs, admirals, and generals, and, and a lot of executives, as well as you know, just doing uh, so many sessions for organizations, I've come to realize there's four critical elements overall in leading through a change. The first is, as we talked about earlier, the vision of success. In other words, what's the outcome? What's our North Star? And being very clear on that with the ingredients we talked about earlier. Second is expressing the value, the benefit to others. And there's six core drivers of human behavior. And the best companies realize how to tap into those core drivers, which we can go through if you'd like. And the third is to deal with non-believers and make them into believers, because if we allow non-believers of the change to uh, be in the organization, I don't mean we remove them, but I'm saying that way of thinking, it can be like a cancer. And I say this as a cancer survivor, that what can happen is, you know, just like cancer, it starts off like really small, but if it's unchecked, it grows. And that's what can happen in organizations. organization. And there's specific strategies in how to um, create and go and, you know, help people who are non-believers into believers rather than just remove them, which isn't always good. So how do you do that? And that's key. And the fourth element is steps. We have to make the steps simple. A lot of times, the the problem with um, creating a massive change is that the steps in the change are too big. Chris is like, you know, walking up a staircase, and you come to a stair that's just really a big jump. You're going to hesitate, and you're probably not going to move forward unless you can climb it. And so, what we can do is make that big step into small, really small steps. And then, even the most fearful people of a change will at least take those small change, or more likely to take those small steps and then they then eventually they can climb that mountain and achieve what they need to achieve. So those four key elements are critical and the best organizations realize that those are the four key elements to pay attention to and make them successful in that change.
1: Wonderful. I want to go back to that the point that you made about non-believers and uh, you talked about them they can be like a can- like a cancer. How do we deal with non-believers? How do we do deal with those uh, those naysayers who maybe are being negative about initiative and and interrupting the flow.
2: There are three critical elements. And let me tackle the first one. We can keep going if you'd like. The very first one, which is the most important of them all, is we must believe. Chris, I cannot tell you how many times I've coached somebody, been a trusted advisor to someone and, and guiding them on a change. But the truth be told, they don't really believe in the change themselves. They're either told to do that, or they feel pressured from stakeholders to do that, or they just think that's what the company overall should do, but they're petrified. They don't think they have it right, but they've got to move forward. Or they've kidded themselves into believing, but they really haven't thought it through, and down deep, they really don't believe. So the first sale goes to yourself. And what I work with people is how they themselves need to be believers. One of the things I think that is um, really attractive in a leader is somebody who is positive and passionate about the future, but it's because they believe in it so well. I mean, have you ever had somebody who you might not even believe it, but they're so passionate, they're so excited about it that you get swept in the emotion, and then suddenly you start believing in it. And the greatest leaders of our time realize that that is the key, is they first must believe, because you can't sell other people, quote-unquote, unless we are sold ourselves. That's the first, most important element,
1: and it's not—it's its not, it's, uh, not of, its often it's not the words, is it? It's—it's uh, it's the emotion of it, and it's the authenticity of it, and you know, you, you being a CSP speaker, I'm a professional speaker as well. You know, it isn't just the, what we say, is it? It's—it's it's how we do it. Absolutely. In fact, when
2: the research shows that tone it. has five times the impact of the words we say. So, tone is—if you think about it—tone is five times the impact. And how often are we? finessing and worrying about various words. And, of course, words have power, words have meaning. They're important. But how we say something is five times the impact. So a lot of times, you know, I was working with this one CEO who was saying the right things, but I had to work with him on showing the emotion. Now, he didn't have to talk like me. He doesn't have to, you know, stand up there and, you know, be so emphatic about things. He can use his style, but clearly he needs to create and at least show some kind of passion. I mean, it, he was like deadpan. And the problem is that inside he was excited. He just forgot to inform the outside. It's like a friend of mine, I'll never forget, Chris said to me one day, you know, I'm happy. And I said, well, you may want to inform your face. Because he wasn't <laughs> smiling. You know, I know it takes a second to kind of get that, but it's like, he's like, it's like the person goes, no, I'm really happy. And you're like, okay. So anyway, we can do whatever different styles were to us, but we have to
1: show it in some way, shape, or form. Excellent. You just put a smile on my face then. <laughs> <laughs> so I've just, we've just got a few minutes left, and I really want to want to just talk about uh, any, any experiences you maybe had from uh, setting up your business. There'll be many people listening here who are setting up businesses. you set up a successful one, uh, and uh, you're out there working with a lot of great organizations. Now, what have you learned that you wish you knew when you first set up your business? I'll tell you, the first thing I, I,
2: and the most important it's something I mentioned earlier, but I didn't tie it into running a business per se, and that's teams win championships. When I first started in this business and was you know, doing seminars and some coaching, I was trying to figure it all out myself. And then eventually, after going into an immense amount of debt, Chris, I said, there's got to be another way, and I started to ask people for help. And here's the good news. Virtually any problem we're ever faced with, somebody out there has probably succeeded in it, The key is to tap into that. And so that's why we need trusted advisors, coaches, friends, whatever it takes. But we need to get advice from other people. And so often we just try to go it alone, and it just takes too long, and we can create so many problems in our life. So that's the the stupid mistake I did. I mean, I did many. I think we could do a whole show on it. But the most important thing I want to leave people with that I, at least here's my biggest mistake, is I tried to do it alone and try to figure it out myself, and it was just so stupid. It took me going to, into immense amount of debt almost at the end before I said there had to be a better way. And then I started listening to other people seeking out advice, and I have learned so much, that, and I've never stopped learning since. And you know what's really neat, Chris? It's fun to learn. It's, it's boring. If we knew all the answers, if you and I knew all the answers, it'd be, life would be boring. But what's exciting is all the answers are out there. We just got to search for it and go for it.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I, I did this show. One of the reasons I do it is it's about learning, and I get to speak to amazing people like you every week. I've Done it for four and a half years, and I, I love that. It gives me a it doesn't matter what my week's been like. It gives me a lift at the end of the week, um, and and some extra wisdom that I can somewhere that I can filter and share.
2: It's exciting, isn't it? In fact, I want to make sure before the, uh, the show's over that uh, if people actually use what we talked about in the show, and they send me an email. I'll send the very first book, Just Be Honest, electronic. I'll t- send the electronic version for them for free. I will. Excellent. All they need to do is send me an email and say how they've used what we talked about, and I'll send them the e-book, of the electronic version of the best-selling book right now that I have, which is Just Be Honest. I'll send it to them for free, and, he- and people might be thinking, is he dangling a carrot? Yeah, because I want people to listen to the stuff and use it, because and teach other people what they learn today, and that's how we make the world a better place.
1: Wonderful, we'll make sure that that goes out on uh, social media as well, that you will do that, because it's uh, well worth reading that. Um, really, really sure, having spoken to you. Um, do, I mean, do you have a final message about change that you'd like to leave us with?
2: Well, yeah, so here's what I'd like to leave people with. We all have desires and goals in life, and sometimes we don't go for what we really deserve, Because it requires change. And the first thing is that we often think, well, you know, uh, I don't like change. But the reality is we like it as long as we see the benefit. So come up with that outcome we talked about earlier. Make sure you see the value, the benefit. Make sure you believe in it and then create the steps along the way and go for what you deserve. Have 2016 be a better year than you've ever had before because you understood the way to make things happen is to be a change
1: champion. I think on those notes, uh, really fantastic uh, getting to talk to you today, Stephen. And I've certainly taken some things from today. I, I love some of your uh, your message is there about making sure people understand the benefits of change and educating them. And actually, you know, you've really got me thinking about the whole process of change, how it occurs in organizations, how we need to, you know, bring the teams alive, make sure there's debate, and make sure there's, there's, um, don't shy away from a conflict. Don't um, be um, concerned if there are um, you know, problems along the way, because they're going to happen. We've just got to get to the end vision. Uh, I think you've, uh, you know, also very inspiring yourself in terms of what you've achieved uh, personally. So, you know, once again, a big thank you to you, Stephen. Thank you for having me, Chris. And I really want to
2: encourage people to go out and teach your stuff, and send me an email that you did so, and I will send them that ebook.
1: Excellent. So, to, and to order the book and find out and um, be, be a change champion, and find out more about Stephen, go to Gaffney dot com. It's s t e v e n g a f n e y dot com. and and get in touch with uh, Stephen once you've had a chance to think about uh, this and start to put some things in action. Got any questions or feedback on the show? I love to hear from people. You can send them to me directly at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. And on next week's show, we've got uh, a friend of mine, Uh, who I was on his show recently. Um, He's a fascinating guy. He's based out in Vancouver, although he's from Manchester in England. His name is Dov Barron. And we're going to talk next week about fierce loyalty. So we'll be back with you again in just another week. And once again, a huge thank you to Stephen Gaffney. Thank you for having me, Chris.